So we've been continuing our Advent series this morning. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, looking at verses 21 through 39. It's printed for you in the ESV translation on page 10 of your bulletin. There's also a children's version on page 11. We'll be referring uh, to both of those, so you want to keep those open and in front of you. It's a long passage. You can stay seated. Hear now the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 39. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised... He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, You are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now, this is God's word. Before we go to it, let's go to him once more in prayer. Now, gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in speech in words that we might know who you are and know ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that even now you would send your spirit and open this text up to us, that we might taste and see that you are good. And we ask this, Lord, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was amazing. The most powerful man in that part of the world caved. The most powerful man at the top of the most advanced civilization in that part of the world caved. He let them go. They were free. He just let them walk out. They went to bed that night as slaves, and they woke up the next morning free. It wasn't the Red River that did it. It wasn't the bugs, not the frogs, wasn't the sores. No, it was something much worse. Something terrible happened. 
The night before, as the Hebrew slaves went to bed, thousands of firstborn Egyptians also went to bed, never to wake up. And as the wail went out across Egypt, God's people went out of Egypt as well. That particular part of the Exodus, the story we're all or most very familiar with, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn Egyptians and the saving of the firstborn Hebrews forms the background of our text today, actually. Last week we saw the actual birth of Jesus. Now we're in the events right after the birth of Jesus. It's still a dark time for God's people. The Roman occupation is the very first thing on everybody's news app that they look at in the morning. And into that reality, Jesus begins his life and he brings hope to God's people. And that gets us to our theme for today, which is this. Christmas hope comes from gospel promises. And we see those right away, these gospel promises in faithful parents. So Jesus is circumcised, it starts out. He's given the sign of the covenant. The first blood that Jesus sheds in his life is in obedience to God, just as the last blood that he sheds on the cross is as well. This sign marks him into the covenant community. It sets him apart as one of God's family. And then about a month later, they make this trek, this week-long trip to Jerusalem. Why did they have to do that? Well, in the Old Testament, God commanded that after a woman gives birth, she's to be purified by a sacrifice. But what about Jesus? He, He didn't need to be purified, but... A sacrifice was required for the firstborn, especially sons of families. A sacrifice was also required for the firstborn of animals as well. And it goes back to our opening story, that tenth plague on Egypt at the Passover where God struck down all the firstborn of humans and cattle and livestock, except for those with blood over the threshold. Those he spared. And in ancient cultures... If someone spared your life, they sort of owned you. They called it a life debt. And God himself claimed the life debt over all the firstborn of his people and their livestock and their animals. So what you would do is you would redeem your sons, you would redeem your more valuable animals by presenting a ransom, the sacrifice, usually a lamb. In this case, Luke tells us it was doves because they were poor, and this animal blood was shed in their place, paying the life debt of the firstborn. That's what's going on here. The sacrifices had to be made. Mary had to be purified by blood. Jesus, as the firstborn, had to be ransomed by blood. It sounds harsh. It sounds barbaric, doesn't it? To many of you, it's quite off-putting. But there's also a glimpse in the midst of this blood of the heart of God here. Luke tells us that this family brought turtle doves. Turtle doves or pigeons were an exception when a family was poor, when a regular offering was just too expensive for them. And this tells us some profound truths about God. One, our Lord grew up in a poor home. He knew what it was like to have more month than money. He he didn't know what a savings account was. You know, forget trying to make ends meet. His family just tried to get them to acknowledge each other's existence most of his life. He'd gone to bed hungry. See, Christmas reminds us that God is not abstract, unrelated to our daily struggles. He gets it. 
He's real. When he was a man, Jesus tasted the hardest parts of life. Luke shows us that Jesus knew real struggles. I love that Dorothy Sayers quote that's on the front of your bulletin there, that when God was a man, he played the man, and he went through all those struggles. And in those struggles, God made a way to lift people up. Even in their poverty, God made a way they could be faithful to his word. God provided an exception for the financially challenged. The lamb is too expensive, you can just use two pigeons, two doves. I mean, think about that. That's way more than just a piece of interesting biblical trivia. It's an insight into God's actual character. If God's main concern is religious works, if what really jazzes him is to watch us jump through ritualistic hoops, if that's what gives him glory, if he is this ritualistic taskmaster, why would he provide an exception? No, you better figure out how to get it done. See, God's not a mob boss. It's not that you owe him, you better figure out how to pay what that you don't get your legs broke. That's not God. And this shows us right here. It's the heart of the worshiper that matters. It's not the ritual that's done. If the heart of the poor wanted to worship and obey, God provided a gracious way that they could do that. Oh, it's so important that we see that character of God because the gospel itself is the ultimate expression of God providing a way. God requires absolute perfection, complete obedience to his instructions in thought, in word, in deed, and we can't do it. We're born owing God a debt as well. We are born guilty before him. We cannot appease him with our lives We are in utter poverty before him. And so in his grace, he doesn't give us turtle doves. He gives us his only unique son. See, we're celebrating Jesus' birth this time of year. Hallelujah. But he was born to die. The blood shed for the firstborn, the blood shed to cleanse Mary. Both of those sacrifices look forward to the blood Jesus would shed to cleanse all of us. His shed blood purifies us from the guilt of our sin. His blood ransoms us from the debt and death that we owe and deserve. Right here at the very beginning of his earthly life, we see through the faithfulness of his parents that we can't separate the baby in the manger from the beaten man on the cross. The hope and joy of Christmas only comes because of the horror of Good Friday and the glory of of Easter Sunday morning because Christmas hope is based on gospel promises. We see those promises as well in a hopeful man next in this story. While they're at the temple, we meet this guy named Simeon. Luke tells us he was righteous and devout, and it pretty much means in the original what you think it does. Here's how I put it for the boys and girls. Boys and girls, if you're still here, let's look at page 11 for you. There near the top at verse 25 and 26 says this. There was a man there in the temple named Simeon. He loved the Lord and he believed God's promises. So God let him know that he would meet the Savior in his lifetime. You see, boys and girls here, being being godly doesn't mean being a really religious person. It means believing what God says. That's what Simeon does. He hears, he believes, and so he's there and he's waiting. He's waiting for something to happen, something amazing, because God told him it was going to happen. 
The text tells us he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a specific phrase that teachers of the day used to describe the coming of the Messiah, the rescuer, the one who would bring freedom to God's people, who would bring refreshment and renewal. Everybody wanted that. They hoped God would do something, but Simeon knew it was coming. And so he faithfully waits. Jesus' parents bring him to the temple, and during the middle of the dedication, Simeon, the text kind of reads, he jumps up, grabs Jesus, and screams out, now I can die, which is a little weird. I mean, can you imagine our next infant baptism, right? Can nobody get any ideas, okay? You see, boys and girls, Simeon is so excited right now because it's like, how many of you have presents already wrapped under the tree, boys and girls? Yeah, you can raise your hands. I want to see. I want to know. There we go. There we go. Yeah, at the Sawyer's house, we do too. And yesterday, one of the Sawyer's children actually reprimanded us for wrapping the presents so early. Because we have to sit here and look at them and just wait, and I can't stand it. Boys and girls, you get that, right? That's Simeon. He's just like that his whole life. He's been waiting and waiting. He had this promise, and finally, it's here. He gets to unwrap the present, and he can't stand it. He's so excited. He says, God has been faithful. Salvation is here. I can rest from watching and waiting. See, Simeon lives in the joy of God's fulfilled promises. We're so preoccupied with watching over our lives, aren't we? Our stuff. We care about our identity, our values, our reputation. We're so concerned with ourselves that we struggle to have peace. Simeon shows us here that resting on God's promises in Jesus relieves us of the stress of having to watch for our own life. Simeon is free because Jesus has come. See, if we really get the gospel, that God has reconciled us in Jesus, we too can say, I don't have to watch over my life. I can be free. We can joyfully have hope and rest in the faithfulness of God. Now, You're hearing this about Simeon. Now, in case you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, but I mean, he's in the Bible. So, you know, it's always easier for people who are in the Bible. Somehow he was more informed than us. I don't know. But remember, he's looking at a baby. He knows nothing of Jesus' life like you and I can read in the Gospels. He knows nothing of the cross. He knows nothing of the resurrection. All that cool stuff we can read about in the book of Acts, no idea to Simeon. But we do. Technically, dear friends, we have access to more direct revelation about Jesus than Simeon did. It was harder for him actually to believe God's promises. And so he gives us this beautiful picture of hope and joy. And I kind of wish he would just have stopped talking at this point as he rejoices in God's fulfilled promises about the peaceful release of resting in God's grace, he has to go and ruin the ride, starting in verse 34. Let's look together at what he says. And Simeon blessed them, being Jesus' parents, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." Jesus is the great divide of history and people. I don't just mean that whole big, you know, B.C., A.D. transfer. I mean, like, between people. Jesus is very divisive because encountering Jesus reveals our heart. If you're not convinced that Jesus is divisive, if you haven't yet met the person at your employer who's in charge of HR, 
Start being very vocal about the hope in Jesus, and you'll get to meet them. Because people are very rarely neutral about Jesus. I don't want us to miss this. Here's how we put these verses for the kids. Let's look at the kids, verse 34 and 35. Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, this child is going to change everything. He will bless and curse, and many will not like him. You also will suffer for him. Jesus was born to be the unpopular kid. We're told in part of the Old Testament that actually by, uh, the, the only physical description we have is that basically he would not be someone you would really t- pay much attention to, the, the prophet Isaiah tells us. He was born into suffering. His life was one of conflict and suffering. His family suffered, but salvation came through his suffering. And therein lies our hope. Jesus willingly walked this path of suffering to earn the price of our freedom. A later part of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus walked that path of suffering, says, for the joy set before him. And then it tells us that that joy set before him is actually us, the community that he would set free. The joy of seeing us free is what led Jesus to the cross. And then our joy in Jesus flows out of that same cross. Because Christmas hope is based on gospel promises. And we see that here finally in a thankful woman in the last couple of verses. Luke now introduces a, a woman to us named Anna, and she is a prophetess. And again, it means exactly what you think it does. This is a lady God spoke to and sometimes through. She married at a typical age, had a husband for seven years, and then she'd been a widow all the way to the age of 84. And in that culture, you know, widows were not particularly valued. So it's not a stretch to say she would have been kind of semi-isolated, probably lonely most of her life. Like Jesus, she was well-versed in suffering. And yet in her difficulty, in her suffering, she was a worshiper, Luke tells us. She was constantly in the temple continuing with God. She is there when Simeon prophesies. She believes him. She catches a glimpse of Jesus. She gives thanks to God. And then she starts telling other people about God's promises of grace. Because that's what those who encounter Jesus do. Just recently, Marty gave me a book I've really been enjoying. It's called The Preacher's Catechism. And I came across this quote just this week that Made me think of this passage. It says this. It says, that first step with Christ is a step into understanding reality, truth, and freedom. All the world is looking for those things, but failing as we once were. Now we've been brought by grace to encounter them all in a person, Jesus Christ. The whole world is looking for these things. And yet when we encounter Jesus, we get them. And that's right where Anna is. She gets it now in Jesus And we know that's what she means because that little phrase, the redemption of Jerusalem, tells us exactly what she's thinking of. Just like in our day, the people of her day were starved for hope. They looked for the liberation of Jerusalem from all these Roman soldiers that were hanging around. But Anna knows better that her people were looking at the wrong problem. They needed freedom from something way bigger than Rome. They were slaves to sin and death. They knew they needed something, but, but they didn't know what it was. They just wanted a better life, which is exactly 
how all the people around us and ourselves, how we think, isn't it? If only I had fill in your blank, my life would be okay. If only I could get this, whatever it is, working, everything would be good and I could, oh, I'd be okay. See, we know we're missing something, don't we? But we don't quite know what. So we look to the wrong solutions and Anna reminds us of the gracious truth. We don't need to look to Jesus to fix our life. We look to Jesus to fix us. See, God wants to give us more joy than we can imagine. But we miss what we ultimately need. What can ultimately slake our thirst is to be reconnected to our Creator through Jesus, and that's what He offers. Anna gets a glimpse of that. Simeon gets a glimpse of that. And then their hearts overflow with hope and joy. Now, dear friends here today, especially my good church-attending Christians, Simeon and Anna are us. They didn't see any miracles just like you. They did not see the angels at Jesus' birth just like you. They did not see Christ's death and resurrection just like you. They simply had the inner call from the Holy Spirit, God's revealed word, which they believed and obeyed. And that obedience led them to an encounter with Jesus. And upon seeing Jesus, they proclaimed the good news out of sheer hope and joy. Now this time of year, let's relish the gift that Jesus was. Let's rejoice in the beauty of the Christmas seasons. season. But let's also recognize that this time of year, it's so beautiful because it reminds us that God keeps his promises. God made a promise, and the first advent shows us that he keeps it as we wait for the second coming as well. See, and when we get that fact, when we get that, that we're saved by grace because of the faithfulness of God to his promises, not because of our faithfulness to his rules, when we get that that's why we're saved, it establishes our joy, and it makes us hopeful people who just can't help but splash hope on everybody else. So my challenge to you as we wrap up the Christmas season this next week, is just like the hopeful people in this text. Let, let, let's let it be our joy to proclaim the hope of Jesus to those the Lord has put around us. Let's help our friends and neighbors see Jesus this Christmas through our hope, through our joy, and in our words. Now let's pray together. Now, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given us this morning through Luke. We pray, Lord, that you would establish our hope and our joy in Jesus. Lord, we pray that the reality that Jesus Christ lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died before you, we pray that that reality of grace would change us and that he was raised from the dead to set us free from sin and death, Lord, that it would give us joy inexpressible and full of glory, Lord, that we might be the hopeful community you've made us to be. We pray you would give that renewed joy to your people this morning. And Lord, we pray for those here who do not know you. We pray, Lord, that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up and portrayed as crucified for sinners and raised for new life, that as he has been lifted up, you would be true to your promise to draw all people to him 
Even now, Lord, would you build your kingdom and call people to new life in Christ. We pray you would do this, Lord, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.